Hello and welcome to the third episode of The Why Debate. Uh, myself and my colleague Callum. So for those who haven't been on here before, who's never who's never actually seen what, what it is we do here, we kind of are taking subjects that most people just accept as being true and accept as being read. And what we do is we kind of study them together on a on a weekly basis and we figure out if we think they're true, if we think they're full of crap, if we think that there's valuable knowledge that we can share, and we're doing it live for the first ever time. Um, and the reason we're doing it live is what we want to do is start getting other people to be able to actually join in with us and do the same stuff we're doing at the end of the week and then join in on the conversation. And I think there's a way we can bring you on screen, but I'll have to figure that out when that happens. Um, so last week, me and Callum decided to read a specific book. And we are going to talk through that today. Callum, do you want to introduce them to what it is that we're doing this week? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so this week we looked at uh, Predictably Irrational uh, by Dan, Dari- Dan Ariely, which um, I thought was pretty cool. So Dan is a behavioral, he's a um, behavioral economist, economist, behavioral economist. Um, and he studies behavioral economics at MIT, I think. He's a professor at MIT. So he knows his stuff. And um, it's all about human behavior and how human behavior can explain economic decision making. Um, it was written around the time of like the the um, the economic crash in like two thousand nine, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in there, but um, it talks a lot about just interesting sort of. sort of irrational weird things that influence us just randomly in our daily lives and how that can really affect our decision making uh, and make us mess up really bad (laughs) and misrepresent ourselves or um, yeah and and how we can change that to make the right decisions or hopefully try to work on it at least to make the right decisions Um, because it's pretty tough from from what he says Um, I don't know how you felt about this book but I loved it I thought it was brilliant uh, yeah, I thought it was absolutely awesome. I mean, f- from a sales perspective, it's how powerful it is is absolutely ridiculous. It's it's like the 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 information I got from it as a sales guy was 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 absolutely crazy. Um, I mean, what was if if you was to look at it now and say what was the number one thing you got from the book? What what was the, what was the the biggest? Um, I think in in general for me, it was just taking account of like what what is making you what what unseen forces are affecting your decisions so if if i'm really just with buying products or anything just to really uh be to be introspective about what what is influencing me uh perhaps behind the scenes or whatever now when i'm seeing like sales and stuff like that i'm really tuned into what they're trying to do like uh especially because um, of the time of year there's lots of like spring sales and stuff and i was like hmm, what are they trying to how are they trying to sell me on this like what what tactics are they using um so yeah i think it's just like really uh taking account of of why you're making these kind of decisions that's the main thing i took from it anyway obviously i learned a bunch of really interesting stuff about yeah marketing sales stuff also just like personal like interpersonal things um a lot of this stuff could be really applied to uh, to dating. <laughs> I think the guy I've seen like some questions, like some question like Q and As with the author, and uh, almost all the questions are talking about like relationships, because <laughs> I think people realize how like uh, how it can be like transcribed over to that. 
Um, yeah, but well, yeah, well, it, one of the big things he does say when he's talking about uh, relationships and things like that is that everything is relative. Um, mm -hmm. and, and what you're on about for, for, from, um, I think one of the things he says is if you're going out on a night out, if you've got a friend that looks a bit like you and is a little bit uglier than you, <laughs> take them with yeah. you because people, if, if you meet, sorry, so if two guys go out and they meet two girls and there's two guys together, if your friend's slightly uglier than you, they won't compare you if you're already chatting to everybody else in the club, they'll compare you to your friend and, well, I'm having that one. <laughs> yeah. Everything. But also from a sales perspective, um, one of the examples that's in the book is that there are, um, so basically it's a magazine subscription they're talking about. And this magazine subscription, um, you can get the online subscription version for $59 a month, I think it is. Uh, yeah, or you, like can, you can get the uh, paper version, the, the like physical version for $125 a month. So so what they did, first of all, is they tried to sell, they, they, they made 100 sales. And what they found is about 60 something percent of people went for the, I'm wrong, actually. What it was is <laughs> the download version and then $125, you got the download version and the paper version. Right. And then what they did is they, they put the sale out, they sold it a hundred times and 63% of people took the cheaper version, the download version. Right. So then they, they put in an irrelevant uh, middle price. And what it was is you had the download version of the magazine subscription, you had the download and the physical version for 125. And then what they did is they added a physical version um, only for $125. And what happened was is 73 or 78% of people, it might have been 84% actually, but nearly everybody went then for the more expensive option, which was the two mixed together because they could see they had something to, to make it relative with. So basically a lot of these things, when you're pricing products and things like that, a lot of people don't realize, but it's a great idea to put a decoy in there, in the, in the middle, which enables you to sell the more expensive one because if the more expensive one is a similar price or it's got similar options to, to the 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 special deal, then people will nearly always go for the special deal because they've got something relative to compare it to. So from a sales perspective, I found that was was absolutely brilliant because obviously I've got three, four different softwares that I sell. Um, and from from a sales from webinars, we do really well, but sales from websites, we don't do really well. Um, mm -hmm. And what I think is it's probably got a lot to do with, we've never really looked at the prices um, of how people are going to be looking at those prices and saying, right, so from a relative perspective, um, which two are they going to compare? And if they've got nothing to compare it to, but if you make, in fact, he, he said, there was something in there that basically said, um, if what they did is they did two tests on holidays, right? So it's like an all expenses paid holiday to France, right? Sorry, sorry, an all inclusive holiday to, 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 to Paris or an all inclusive okay. holiday to Rome. Yeah, right. Yeah. And if you put them both up together like that, um, so these are your two options. You can go all in, all inclusive to Rome or all inclusive to Paris. Um, and it was even. So some people pick Rome, some people pick Paris. But then if they added a decoy, if they added a all expenses paid to Rome, and all expenses paid to uh, not expenses, and all inclusive and an all inclusive, and then they added an additional one that was. Um, and all inclusive to Rome without coffee for your breakfast in the morning. So you weren't allowed coffee. So if you wanted coffee, you had to pay for it. Yeah. The majority of people would choose the Rome all inclusive because they had something to compare it to. And if they did the decoy one as, as Paris without coffee, then more people would choose Paris. So it's the way that people, I mean, the book's called Predictably Irrational. And I guess that makes sense is is, is it's, it's irrational what people are doing. But because we're so lazy, when we look at something, we're like, okay, well, for, for, for which is the easiest What's the easiest thing to compare it to? So you compare the two easiest and pick the best of the two, which is yeah. really smart.
Yeah, and and it's not always the uh, it's not always using as a decoy. It's not always using something that's like uh, like a middle option as a decoy. You can also use a really expensive option as a decoy. He gives the example about restaurants, where he says that uh, they were able to increase the spending at these restaurants by putting in really expensive like specials. So it made the because most people choose the second most expensive option at a restaurant. So by upping the price of these specials. He could uh, get basically they could people spent more money because they looked at the second they looked at the second most which used to be the most expensive and go ah yeah nice that's great I'll I'll settle for that one so um, yeah and and it also raises the prestige of the restaurant too because look at these expensive options we'll get into like how price affects people's actual experience of using the the product or having the experience probably later because uh, there's a whole chapter on that too but. Um, yeah, but using a, an expensive option like that to to sell something that's cheaper. Yeah, so so what you've just moved on to there is is something that, that that's referred to as 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 anchoring as well. So so there's price anchoring where um, if you sell something more, so so if people come in and everything on your menu is cheap, then they expect it cheap and they don't enjoy it the same, do they? But if everybody yeah. if if they come in and and everything's expensive, then they kind of that's their price anchor. Now there was a guy when I lived in Spain. We lived in like a holiday a holiday area in Spain, and he owned a restaurant on the front. Um, and he was a Spanish guy. And what he used to do is he used to pay, okay, English people that lived in Spain to stand outside his restaurant as though they were queuing up, and to be stood asking about thinking. And then as people would come in, they'd go in, sit down, they'd come back out, and they'd go back to the front, and they'd do the same process over and over again all night. And he wow. used to say, and, and when I spoke to him, and I said, "Why do you do that? Why do you have these guys?" He says, "Because if people see somebody queuing outside my restaurant." And not queuing outside the other restaurants, um, then then they think we're the best. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, money on that, it... and it was like so fucking clever that. Yeah, no, that's smart. That's a good investment. Yeah, well, it's I, an area yeah, where I, I would have been queuing up, especially get free food. Tourist, they're fighting for the tourism, and and that was the one little trick he used, which which worked. It was always full. I mean, that was how I met him by by eating at his restaurant, and I'm pretty sure I probably got duped with the same trick as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I I was uh, my because I don't have a sales background. Just when I started out writing, um, I went to um, Fiverr was my first option. I wanted to build like a portfolio, so I was like, okay, I want to build a portfolio, but I don't, I can't think of anything to write about, and um, I I want like a broad sort of spectrum of tro- of topics to like choose from. So I thought Fiverr is a good option because at least I can get paid for it. So I I never like set up a pricing plan or anything for you know ever, and um, so I put uh, what did I do? I put uh, I had three options. I had five dollars for five hundred words, yep. and um, uh, like a two day delivery time or something. Have you, have you ever used five? You've you've used Fiverr for getting like getting uh, hiring people, right? Yeah, back in the day, I used to use Fiverr for content. Yeah, so. So you have a little experience with it. So yeah, two-day delivery on the $5,500 words thing. And then I had like a $10, 1,000 words, obviously, four-day delivery. And then I was like, well, I don't want anyone to make me write any more than 1,000 words because I was working other jobs. So I, um, I made a $20, 1,500 words with like a week delivery. And uh, so... Everything was going fine for a while. I, I like waited a month. I started getting some jobs through, and it was it was fine. And then these guys found my ad, and they realized the issue 
well, the, realize the thing that I didn't realize is that if you just bought three of the 500 word uh, options, yep. you could <laughs> you could get them for for fifteen dollars, and you could make me write one thousand five hundred words. And uh, so they spammed it. They literally. I woke up one morning. I had like ten, uh, like ten orders of the five hundred word thing, and, and I was like, deliver it in a certain time as well. Well, yeah, I had to deliver it in two days because they were all separate orders. So I had like, <laughs> I had like honestly like ten thousand words or five thousand, six thousand words I had to write, and I had two days to do it, and I was like, I can't do it. So I messaged them. I'm really sorry, but I can't complete the order you've ordered too many. Is there any way that we can set up a, a deal for it? And they were like, nah, take your time, like whatever, it doesn't matter. And I was like, okay, but I have to like, you know, finish the, I have to say, tell Fiverr that I've completed it. So I did that the first few times. It was horrible. And then one time they didn't reply to me and uh, yeah, the, it just expired. And I ended up, um, I never got another sale on Fiverr ever again because it tanked my account. They looked at my, uh, looked at my account rating and were like, oh, you didn't deliver. So they put me to the bottom ah, of the algorithm, finished it. You, you <laughs> haven't you, all over the world that you teach to, to um, is it to speak English or to write English? Both. Uh, a little bit of everything. Um, English grammar, writing, reading, speaking, all of that stuff. The first the thing I said to you, when, when you said to me about what it is you do, and you said, okay, whatever the hourly rate was, and I basically said, so there's, 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 there's a different option right and it was dan kennedy who said it there's no point in being the second highest priced person in the market and what most people do will get into what you do and let's say they charge i don't know 30 to 50 pound an hour what i would have done is i would have gone in and charged 150 pound an hour and straight yeah. away the people that could afford it the people that was like okay money's no object they would have looked at it straight away and they just said okay the guy charging 150 pound an hour he's obviously better than everybody else because that's why he's charging 100 so people automatically connect value to price so, so that's what, did you remember when I said to you straight away, what you best better be do to this, so he's put your price up, triple your price. You might get less customers, but every customer's worth three times as much. You can spend that little exactly. bit more time with them. And because they're paying you 150 pounds an hour, it's actually worth putting your time in, but it also works. People do relate price to quality. And that yes. goes back to saying, remember the placebo effect? Do you know what that is? Yes. Yeah. 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 I haven't experienced the placebo effect recently, but go on. Yep. So, so, so the placebo effect, basically if, if you sell somebody anything, so it, there was a test done. There was a, there was a study done that showed that if 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 in in a bunch of people that wanted some sort of painkillers or some sort of uh, thingy for some sort of mal, I, I don't remember what the ailment was, right? But basically, if if you gave them um, the cheapest, lowest cost uh, medication, right, they didn't feel like it did anything. But what what the guy did that was doing the test is the the medication he gave them didn't do anything anyway. Right. So what it is is he told these people here, right? So these are like a dollar, a dollar a tablet or whatever it is, right? I don't know if that's expensive. And then the other ones, these are $150 a tablet, for example. Yeah. Right. And and the placebo effect, neither tablet did anything. I think the people were all refunded, but neither tablet did anything. But the people who got the $150 tablet, because they believed it was the best medication in the market, it did what it's supposed to do, their brain told them that this is definitely the best shit out there and, and it fixed them. And they yeah. felt like they weren't in pain anymore. And it felt like it wasn't hurting them anymore. And, and the inflammation had gone away and everything else. And it was just a placebo. And it's that, that placebo effect that price increases quality without increasing quality. I can't remember who it was that said it, but price increases quality without increasing quality, which I think is 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 brilliant when you think of it like that. Because I drive a 
four-wheel drive, brand spanking new um, electric Mercedes, mm-hmm. right? Now, people look at that and think, wow, but that's beautiful. It's luxury to drive, but it's, right? But my, my, my missus drives a Vauxhall Insignia, and there's no difference in the two vehicles. You get inside and the vehicle is a vehicle, but people believe that the quality of the Mercedes is much, much better because it's a Mercedes. Yeah. And it's not. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I had, a, I had a 2008 5 Series before I went to Spain, right? So it was an old 5 Series, but I loved it. And it's still the best car I've ever had, even on the top of the brand new Mercs and things like that. Um, that's the best car I've ever had. And I know BMs are still a little bit quality, but it was old and it was still my favorite. And MD Rakib says he's from Bangladesh. Nice okay. one. Cool, man. Good to have, good to have you along. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to discuss, I don't know if you want to jump in on the placebo effect yet before we... Yeah, yeah, let's, I'll, I'll do it quickly. Um, yeah, because I was going to say, it's not just price, the placebo, it's branding as well. Like, obviously, you see, like, a nice um, nice car brand, you see a Merc, you're like, yeah, it must be great. But also, just, like, the language they use, too, from a writing, from a writing perspective, the way that people describe food at restaurants, um, I, I never really knew why they did it. Um, and um <laughs> nice lauren uh that's sweet um yeah i never knew why they never knew why they did it but um it's it's to do that placebo effect where it's basically to um to like entice you to say like oh this isn't just you know like um uh what is it this isn't just like lamb sauce this is a lamb jam with like delicate <laughs> like uh cloves or something like that and they like really from madagascar and they like really like ham it up um pardon the food pun and uh by doing that they they up the prestige and it makes you like oh yeah i can really taste those madagascan cloves you know you, you it gets it in your head and you think you can do it but my my experience with the placebo was um was the opposite it was a nocebo have you heard of the the opposite of a placebo before so um the the other day i was um uh i i was feeling well i wasn't feeling bad but i had this uh this cut on my face i've been training jujitsu i um landed on my face i got a cut on my chin and uh it started to get pretty sore and uh, i was like hmm, there's a bit of an issue with this isn't this isn't good and uh suddenly i i basically I went to the pharmacy to ask if I had something wrong with, with it, or whether it looked infected. And they were like, yeah, that looks infected. Not only does it look infected, it looks very badly infected with like quite a nasty infection. And I was like, oh, geez, that's not good. And I, I didn't feel ill or anything. I just felt, I just felt, um, you know, I, I just felt like there was something on my face. It wasn't like a sickness. But the minute she told me that, uh, I had a bad infection. I got back in my car, started to get a headache, a sore throat, started to feel dizzy. I was like, oh my God, I'm actually having like a negative placebo because she told me I was ill. My body was like, oh, you're ill. So it started acting ill. Just because Very strange. You Ill. Yes, really strange. It's the opposite. It's called a, I think it's called a nocebo. Um, well, it was the same thing when they did the test with Coke and Pepsi. So they did a blind taste test of Coke and Pepsi and nearly everybody said they preferred Pepsi. Like like eighty percent massive out of the way, then they yeah. did a a a unblind taste test. So basically, they're right. Here's a can of Coke. Here's a can of Pepsi. Taste it. See which one you like the most. Um, because people expect such 
expect something more from Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola won with, with a massive landslide. But when they did the blind yeah. taste test, it was a completely the opposite way around, which is uh, which is which is pretty cool. So what? Yeah. What about it's the free red of Coke that makes everyone love it? Sorry. What about free? What about free? Free is the best. Free is irresistible. No one can say no to free, even if you don't want it. If even yeah. if you don't want the free thing, you end up saying yes just because it's free. Uh, okay. When I read that, I was like, "Oh, it's so true, <laughs> so true." That that's another thing they did a test again. Another another test that was done was basically they sold some dead expensive chocolates that would have been like fifty cents each for like fifteen cents each. Yeah. Or then they sold the, this cheap one that probably would have been five cents each for for one cent each. Right. So what they did is they, 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 they had these two at uh, uh, the store in the shop. What they did is they said, right, so you can get this one here for 15 cents or this one here for one cent. Right. But this was not the best chocolate. It was pretty crap. And this one over here that was 15 cents was like normally 50 cents. And yeah. what happened was uh, more people went for the 15 cent one because it's like, well, you can get in the quality. OK, over, over the, the, the cheap crap for a penny. But then exactly. what they did is then they reduced both of them by the cost of a penny. And and what happened is the. Um, the one that was a penny went to free and the one that was 15 cents before went to 14 cents. So there's still a 14 cents difference. You still 14 cents more out of pocket if you choose the more expensive one. And yet nearly everybody went for free. Yeah. Um, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And this is why most software companies, ClickFunnels is a great example. Most software companies give you a free trial. Now, the reason they do that is because when you when you feel like you own something, when you, when, right? It's, once you start using something, and when, once you 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 see it as yours, you see you feel that ownership. You feel like, and then when you have to say, okay, I'm going to lose this now in three days, you have that fear of loss as a person, as an individual. So when you feel like you're going to lose something, you're like, shit, no, 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 I don't want to lose it. So you pay for it. So the free trial on the software. A lot of people say, oh, I don't do free trials because hardly any convert. If you didn't do any free trials, almost nobody would buy. But if you do a 14-day free trial, you collect their email address, so you're building your email marketing list. And second most thing, because then you can email them with a special offer later. And secondly, even the low percentage that do convert is because they're converting not because they would have came to your website and bought. They're converting because they're like, shit, I don't want to lose this. Yeah. And also, uh, there's less risk as well. And people see that, see the diminished amount of risk, and they're like, well, be rude not to. Because I'm not going to lose out on anything if I just go for the free thing. I can, you know, I can just do that. It's like um, free free shipping as well. They did the the test with free shipping for for Amazon, and they um they gave the whole world got the if you've got whatever um Prime or something, you get the free shipping option. No, it was it was based on um price per uh, oh value. per item. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It was your if you spend over a certain threshold, you qualify for free shipping. Yeah. So, um, and they gave that to everywhere in the world. Um, but in, and everyone, you know, prices, people spent more on average because of it. Uh, and the only place they didn't was France. And that's because instead of free, they made it 20 cents, about 20 cents, the equivalent of rather than free, free delivery. So just 20 cents delivery, it's nothing. Um, but it wasn't enough to get people to go over to the the threshold to spend more because they were like, well, there's still a cost attached to it. So they, yeah. So so it was four dollar four dollar shipping, but it was twenty cents if you spent over X. Yeah, so they didn't do it. But whereas with with I believe it was with the other one was if you went to 
like $40 sales, you got free shipping. So people would actually spend an extra $15, $20 to get the free shipping rather than pay the $4 shipping cost. Whereas with the, when it was made at 20 cents, it didn't work. Um, yeah. And it was loss aversion. Yes. Go. Exactly. That's exactly That's what we're talking about. It's the loss aversion type of thing. Um, so if anybody doesn't know, just because we've been on for a while now, we're actually talking about, we, we, we've been studying uh, Predictably Irrational, which is a book by Dan Aria. I can't say his name. Um, <laughs> and what we intend to do every single week is we intend to study. So pr the previous week we did uh, Atomic Habits. The week yep. before that, we did Think and Grow Rich. And what we intend to do is we're trying to streamline our studying. And the reason we've started doing this live is what we want is people like yourselves to come on and join us in the debate and, and let us know what you think. Actually, maybe even read the same books we do um, or, the, or study the same subjects for a week and then come on the following week and we will go through what we think. Um, and then you can obviously have have a chat with us and it kind of focuses your studying. It's like if you know you've got to come on here every Friday at a certain time and you, you can join in. And I believe there is a way we can get people up and, and let you chat, but I'll figure that out in a few weeks when this starts to get more busier. Um, sure. What about social norms versus market norms? Yes, I love this chapter. Really cool. Um, I'll let you... <laughs> uh, yeah, so the basis of the chapter is that we live basically in two worlds. One is governed by social norms and the other one's governed by market norms. Um, and uh, the rules are different depending on which uh, kind of space you're in. Um, so it basically is talking about how you can, which one's more powerful, whether it's uh, your sort of your social norms, like the things like you're owing a friend for something or uh, having that kind of like connection where you, you feel like you, you should do something for someone else, just not for money, just for the sake of being a, you know, a, a good pal or just being a good, a good citizen. Um, and whether that's more powerful than doing stuff for money. And they did an experiment where they paid people uh, to drag. It was very mundane. It was just dragging like circles um, across the screen um, on a, uh, on a, com on computer software or something. And um, they paid people like very really low amounts like 20 cents and then they paid people like five dollars just to see if they'd work harder and people worked i think it was marginally harder or not particularly much harder for more money they, they their productivity was about the same so um it didn't really matter how much they got paid and then they brought people in and they said it was they didn't weren't going to get paid for it they were just were just doing it because they needed people to be part of the study and they wanted their help and the people were more productive when they were doing it for just helping someone for the sake of helping someone than they were for a small amount of money. So it just shows the power of social norms over, you know, over market norms in that respect. Um, they did a similar test with, uh, with lawyers. So apparently your average lawyer at the time, cause this was like, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 years ago was charging $200 an hour. So your average lawyer had charged $200 an hour, an hour and, they, and they got a load of old people um, who needed low-cost legal help for whatever the reason was. I don't know what it was, but they got a load of older people that needed a low-cost uh, thing. They couldn't afford it. So what they did is they went to a load of lawyers and they said, look, what we want you to do is 
charge thirty dollars an hour for these old people to help them to get them to um to 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 be able to do whatever it was. And nearly every single, almost bar none, and nearly every single lawyer was like, no, I'm not cutting my rates for anyone. Don't care what it is. So then instead, what they did is they went to a different batch of lawyers in, in a different thing, the exact same story. The only thing they turned around and said to the, to the lawyers is, look, these people really, really need legal assistance, but they can't afford it. They haven't got it. And we want you to donate some legal assistance for free to help them. And about 50, 60% of the lawyers agreed and, and, basically said, yes, we'll do it for free. We'll do it as a charity. So, so, so as a charitable donation, they said they'll do it for free instead of sitting in a situation where, so when you go to somebody who's a business, if you try and get them to do anything where you're actually them to reduce what they normally get paid, they're probably going to tell you to fuck off. But that's because they see as, um, I don't know if, in fact, I, I've done it in the past. You know, when I've said to, 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 to a client, when I used to be a locksmith out on the road and I'd say mm. to a client, um, don't worry about it. Just give me a tenner for coming out, covered a fuel. And I drive away knowing full well I had a 50 quid call out fee. So it was a 50 pound call out fee. It turned up and the job wasn't needed. So normally I'd say 50 quid. And when I, th- when I drove away, I'd feel really bad. But sometimes I'd drive away and I'd wave and I'd say, don't worry about it. You're good. And I never feel really bad about it. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, social norms, especially, it's super powerful. Like you can kind of break market norms sometimes. Like maybe not. I think tipping is a really interesting one, isn't it? Like, um, in restaurants, tipping people because that's kind of a social norm, but also a market norm at the same time. It's really tipping in America is a market norm. It's expected. Yes, in the UK it's, it's more social. So if if you go to the states, it's like okay, your bill is this, but how much are you tipping? And 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 there's a few places now that actually pass you a thing that shows you three different options. Are you tipping fifteen percent? Are you tipping twenty five percent? Are you tipping fifty percent? Type of like these are the three options if you want to be hated and get spat in your food next time tip 15 yeah. percent, but they jump straight to a quarter of the price of your bill so if you spend a hundred dollars it's like okay it's 125 dollars. it's like that's 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 more than sales tax <laughs> yeah but yeah I, that, I, that's I, like an interesting one but it forces you it compels you because the thought of breaking a social norm is is really not good because a market norm you know if you haggle for a price for example and you don't agree on a price you just go your separate ways it's not like you end up fighting each other or you can't talk to that person. You can't go back into the shop the next week unless you really have it out with each other. Um, you know, if you haggle down, you can still come back the next day. But if you, if you broke a social norm with that person and, and said something that was like inappropriate or offensive, then, you know, they're not going to let you back in. So they're really powerful. My friend, uh, he, he, uh, was having some issues at school and, um, we were in sick form, I think. So we, we, we did have to be there, but not really. It was one of those weird things where, um, again, that's another part of the book is like, you kind of have like a draconian, you have to be here, but also they soften it by being like, yeah, but we'll treat you like you don't have to be. And it's really confusing mixed messages. You end up not wanting to show up. Um, it, attendance, no doubt is higher when you're more draconian, but it's just finding the balance. But anyway, he had some issues with school and to try and correct this issue, the the head of sixth form told him exactly how much money he was worth to the school and how much they'd say lose if he left or how much they'd gain if he left. I'm not sure which way around it was. Um, but basically it was like, we want you to stay in our school because of the investment element of what you're worth to us if you go to university. And um, he, he never came back after that. Because the social norm was broken where he was like, well, then I'm just a commodity and you're not actually, you don't have my best interests. 
so it was like you know for him it was it was tough because he'd uh he thought that that teacher was actually trying to help him stay in school because he wanted him to do well in life but actually yeah. when he revealed the the market element behind it it broke the social norm and he was like well i don't want anything to do with you anymore so he just left so he left the teachers gave a shit and the teachers didn't give a shit it was more about the bottom i mean everything's a business nowadays there's nothing that's not a business i mean i i I, there's nothing that's not a business. Even, I mean, the UK is, we've still got the National Health Service, mm-hmm. but it's getting to the point where it's so bad now um, that it's going to, it eventually got to go private. I mean, we, we, I pay for private healthcare, but if you have to go to a normal doctor's in the UK, I know you have to wait two, three, four weeks for an appointment. I mean, if you've got something seriously wrong Some with you, Some places, yeah. Yeah. You're dead, aren't you? It's like, it doesn't make sense. It's like, what? but the, 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 we're not paying it. Like if, if, if we was to look at, Going over to the states, the the income tax and sales tax and things like that's about on par with 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 the UK, but they pay for the for the private um, healthcare separately. So I guess with what they're doing, I mean, I mean, the government. I'm not even going to get onto the government because I. I, <laughs> I mean, if you look at everything they tax us on, we we probably pay 60 percent tax overall for everything that we earn because the second you earn it, there's this tax on it. Anything you buy with it, there's sales tax on it. If you give it away, there's fucking gift tax on it. And and it's, it's ridiculous that, and then now we're going to have to pay for private healthcare out of what, totally. of what we earn that we get left. Yeah. I mean, spending time in the hospital and the, the, the doctors and the pharmacies like this week for me, I probably spent about five hours in total with the whole process of like trying to get my, get that sort of infection sorted on my face. Crazy crazy how like waiting for five hours for antibiotics at a um pharmacy it's nuts one of the other things i was just looking over there because i've got a few notes over there uh expectations um and one of the things that really got me from inside the book was that when when you're reading when somebody tells you beforehand right and it's the same before you meet somebody Mm-hmm. Um, and it's why we do introductions in in webinars. Um, is if somebody tells you th- what to expect before it happens, then you will enjoy it more than if or hate it more. If they turn around and say, "Don't watch that film; it's absolutely crap." You're expecting it to be crap, so you're kind of looking at it from a negative negative perspective. If somebody says, "Best film I've ever seen," you should definitely go and watch that when it's worth. I'd have paid 10 times for my ticket and, and get to the cinema as fast as you can before it's gone. Then you expect, you enjoy it more. You actually look at it from a positive perspective. Um, and when, when I, when I was reading that part of the book, I was actually looking at it and I was thinking to myself, it's like that because that's why in a webinar, because I do a lot of webinars, as you know, in sales presentations, um, you, you want somebody to give you a positive introduction before you go live. Yeah. Really, really important to have that kind of like, you know, I think it's also a, it's a, it's a theme throughout all of the the books that we've read so far is like the whole, whether the whole expectations thing, like whether you can or you can't, you know, whether you say you can or you say you can't, you're probably right. And that is like, that ties into the expectations thing. If you're expecting to fail, you're probably going to fail. If you're expecting to to mess up, you're probably going to mess up, um, and uh, yeah, that that element of the this book was kind of the same as the the other ones. Think and Grow Rich definitely had like a bunch of that in it, didn't it? About um, your mindset and how you're, you know, because life if life is a webinar, <laughs> you have to do your own intro, and uh, if you're 
if you're introducing yourself just by the way you act um, and the way you think, even if you're not expressing it, you're giving yourself a bad intro um, and you're going to you know, pay the price for that. So um, a good example of that, actually, what you just said, if you think you can and you think you can't, you're probably right. I think it was, was how you phrased it. I like that. I've, I don't think I've ever used that I before. definitely robbed it from someone. Um, but one of the girls in our office the other day, she came in as a copywriter when she first started. And she said to me, if you'd have told me what I was going to be doing now, um, I would have told you to keep your job. And now she does all of the video editing and everything. She had no experience. And when, 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 I, when, I, had a, when I had a chat with her about it, she said to me, um, I didn't even know how to turn a Mac on properly. But she was, but she's brilliant at what she does when it comes to the writing side of things. But now she does a lot of the copywriting and she also does video editing. Um, and that's exactly what you, if I had said right at the start, when we when, when we were trying to give her a job, she'd have been like, I don't, I'm, I'm not a video editor. I don't know how to do it. I probably can't do it. And now all the video editing goes to her because she's really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> which we found out from doing the YouTube channels, which is crazy. Um, totally. Yeah. It's the, it's the power of identity again. It's the same as what we were talking about last week with how identity is like, if, if you feel something's your identity, you're going to, your identity, you're going to commit to it um extra yeah. hard and if you have like a negative affirmation i'm not a video editor i'm not a i'm terrible at math i'm terrible at whatever then you're it, it you know that is your identity and you're probably going to act that out they did the experiment didn't they about stereotypes in the book they mention it in this chapter um speaking about math and they had two groups of um people and they were like who is stereotypically i didn't know the stereotype actually so i'm going to but my gonna my hands are clean in this one. But they uh, said that um, stereotypically, women are apparently not very good at math. I didn't know that. Girls were always sick at everything at school. Um, but I guess apparently the stereotypes are not very good at math. And the stereotype of people that are very good at math are Asian people are very good at math. So they um, so they took a group of Asian women and they exposed half of them to. Uh, like a questionnaire that talked about their gender identity mm-hmm. and like what's like what's like being a woman you're a woman tick this box like your experience as a woman as a woman and they they hammered it into them about their gender of being a woman and then the other half of the group they spoke only about their ethnicity so they were like ah oh, yeah so you're you're an asian person your experience of being asian and then they did the same math test and the group that were that were speaking about their ethnicity beforehand and were primed with the information about their ethnicity scored higher on average than the people who were than the people who were talking about their gender because they were thinking I'm a woman and the other were thinking I'm an Asian person. So the stereotype there was working in their favor and um, or against them in that case, which I thought was super interesting. And they um, they replicated it with um, with that priming thing again, they replicated it with uh, two groups that looked at. Um, they had to do word puzzles, and one of the word puzzles was uh, like honor, patience, um, like you know, like nice positive words, and then the other one was like rage, impatience, angry. Um, and these two groups then went to the. They had to go to the scientist to ask what the next step was, and the scientist was with an actor who was pretending to struggle uh, at completing the task. And they measured how long it took the groups to interrupt the um, scientist and the actor. And the people who looked at words like patience and 
and um and honor and heroism it took them on average nine minutes to interrupt and the other group on average was five minutes wow so almost doubled it just by showing them yeah the words just by priming them with that kind of thought they've got the stereotype in their head oh i'm 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 honorable oh i'm i'm honest i'm good i'm patient and yeah it affected them very very interesting what one of my one of the best or one of the best parts for me was all, all about everyone's a bit of a criminal, yeah. And it would basically, um, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, was that your favorite bit, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite bit because what 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 it talks about at the beginning is um, everybody will cheat just a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they did some tests, right? And 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 the tests basically explain that if 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 you get a room full of people and you make it impossible for them to cheat, then they'll get a certain mark. So let's say thirty two out of fifty, right? But then if you say to them, okay, we're gonna we're gonna let you mark your own own book and then and then shred it as soon as you finished it, they found that people cheated. Everybody cheated, but only a little bit. So 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 they might go from thirty two out of fifty to thirty six out of fifty. So every, nearly every single person that did it cheated, right? But then what the the, the other test he did was what they found out is that if they got them to either write out an honor code like you said before or if they got them to read the 10 commandments before they did it yeah right nobody cheated yeah so it's like it's like you're affected by uh your environment again we're all a product of our environment which is what someone was talking about last week but one of the things i really liked is that yeah basically everybody will steal a little bit and and um dan Ariely did a talk and i watched it and and he gives an example of a child who gets in trouble at school so this kid gets in trouble at school because he's stolen a pen, right? So okay. what happens is this child gets in trouble because he's, he's nicked a pen at school. So the, the, he has to go into school to see the teacher. And it's like, look, your son's stole a pen. It's not there. And he's like, so so the, the, the father's telling the son off. And he said, look, if you needed a pen, you should have just told me. And I'd have brought you some back from work. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> In other words, I'll nick from work if it's a pen. And then he did another test where he put six cans of Coke in a student's dorm room. Mm-hmm. and left them there and within 48 hours or 72 hours i think every single one had been stolen right so people had oh this kind of coke i'll just nick one i'll just take one i'll just take one and people don't see it like stealing because it's it's not financial then what he yeah. did he, he put he put money in the fridge right which obviously you wouldn't find money in the fridge often puts money in the fridge 72 hours not a single penny had been touched and yeah. it's as though the further we get from 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 money the less we feel like we're cheating people, the less we feel like we're stealing people, uh, stealing from people. Um, people like Enron and people like that who did them big, massive frauds, they weren't looking at it like, okay, we're going in here and we're stealing all the money out of old people's banks and things like that. Instead, they were thinking to themselves, well, it's just data. It's just the thing on a screen. So that's probably one of the things when I was looking at it, it's really, really scary that we're now getting to the point where we're a almost cashless society and the people who commit the fraud do it digitally so they don't see um, they don't see the sort of, of chaos and the sort of problems they're causing in people's lives because they're not running in a house with a baseball bat, hitting them over right. the head a few times, grabbing all the money and running out um, and, and, yeah. and getting to the level now where a cashless society is going to make um, in every each second. Sorry, I, I was just reading one of the chats then. Uh, but yeah, I, I, and it kind of, it kind of, it was it was almost scary to a point where it's like right so if if this happens and we become a cashless society people steal in fact when they did um tests and and they checked between the amount of um money that was being stolen by white collar criminals yeah right was like almost a billion in total from all the yeah. different types of things like stealing from work stealing a pen yeah i work. think it was more than a billion actually yeah. i think it was like 
in the tens of billions. It was really high. Oh, yeah. I think it was almost a trillion, sorry. There was 600 million just on thingy. Then there was 350 million. And this was like 18 years ago. 350 million was just people ripping off the government. Now, don't yeah. get me wrong. I don't have a problem with that because the government keep adding loads of taxes and inflation and they keep allowing They'll rip you off. more money and ripping us off. But everything else, like being stolen from businesses, there was like a trillion dollar in sales. And then when you looked at the difference compared to that, it was like 20 times as much as actual um, blue collar criminals. And yet the police spend all of their time and effort in going after these blue-collar criminals because it's more visual because obviously yes. they're stealing actual cash or they're robbing actual cars or they're burgling actual houses. But the, the financial element of it, white-collar criminals are stealing much, much more and nobody seems to want to do anything about it. Yeah. I mean, we are, we're very visual as a species anyway, aren't we? So it makes sense that we'd be more, you know, we'd have that, like, real aversion towards visible crime and also i think the other thing about robbing someone's house this is not necessarily about like the money element of it it's also about like the house is a sacred space and um it's like how you don't feel necessarily unsafe if you your paypal gets hacked you might feel like you know cheated or or wronged or powerless but you don't necessarily feel unsafe whereas if someone comes into your house with a baseball bat and steals loads of possessions, you, you know, you feel that that's like people go into therapy about that. So. If that happened, I, I've got a friend, right? Who yeah, has not likely, not as much. Well, he's got businesses running from um, Dubai and Hong Kong and somewhere else. And what the, 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 the bank in Hong Kong was recently uh, bought out. Okay. Okay. And the money disappeared. Hundreds of thousands in there, right? Wow. And, and, and the money, he got it back and it all got sorted and it went through the point, but it took weeks and weeks and weeks to get sorted out to the point where he's now like, I'm shutting my Hong Kong business and I'm moving everything to Dubai. Wow. Right? So, 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 but it's a situation like that is your bank is also as sacred as your home. In my yeah. opinion, your bank account, it's like if, it, and especially if it's the actual bank that's doing it, because in in a lot of situations, I mean, I mean, this is why I always say to people, if you've got, I I don't keep more than a hundred grand in in, in 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 a bank account ever because I don't see the point. I will always invest it in an appreciating asset because I believe that inflation. I think you've heard me tell a story on one of my presentations where if you go and buy a loaf of bread ten years ago, it will cost you a dollar. But if you buy that same loaf of bread now, it'll cost you three dollars. But if yeah. you've kept that dollar in the bank, it'll probably be one dollar ten cents. So you're yeah. actually in a worse financial situation now having that same money than you are 10 years later but most people's salaries haven't gone up by 3x in 10 years so everybody in society um unless you, you you you're doing entrepreneurial stuff is actually in in a worse financial situation now than they were 10 years ago which i think is 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 horrendous because right and i didn't know this till a few years back but apparently what happens is when a bank issues a loan they don't actually go to the royal whatever it is where they get the cash from and get the money from 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 from. It depends whether you're in the UK or the US. What they do is they just input that on the, on the computer and that generates more money. Yeah, and it actually inputs more money into society. And every time that happens, it's devaluing the the income that we've got. And because it devalues money, basically what it's doing is it's putting, other than the bankers, it's putting every single person in the whole country in a worse financial situation day by day by day by day. And when we did the Atomic Habits, he said, if you if you increase 
if you increase what you do 1% each day, then after a year, you're 365% better. Mm-hmm. But if the government is already taking 1% a day away from you by making you less and less in a worse financial situation, step by step by step by step, by allowing the big banks in a broken situation and a broken banking system to do that, you're then in a situation where you're getting fucked left, right, and center by the government and expected to just say, oh, well, thank you very much. Here's extra money out of my tiny little pittance that you're allowing us to keep uh, in tax. It's, it's, anyway, I'm, I'm going on yeah. a rant, Anna. No. <laughs> <laughs> you said you wouldn't mention the government, and now here we are. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, and I have you ever um, watched the movie? It's kind of a movie. It's like a documentary called Zeitgeist. Uh, yes, my brother got me to watch it. That was the one that changed my uh, opinion on uh, money, totally. I was like, money isn't real. Oh, my God, money's not real. Um, and I think that's why, you know, we both agree, I think, that that's why the white-collar criminals can get away with it, because the money they're stealing isn't real. You know, well, it's just a medium of exchange. I mean, it started out with people uh, diving for pearls, I believe, and then, and then and, and exchanging, okay, we, this guy makes arrows, this guy hunts this guy um whatever chops up meat let's all work together and thingy and then eventually it was like right well he can't chop up enough meat to to benefit me for hunting hundreds of animals so they basically yeah. need to figure out a medium of exchange but when you get to financials and stuff like that right a great a great uh, story that i heard about marketing which is absolutely brilliant and i can't remember the guy's name but what he did is he brought black pearls to america i believe it was and okay so but he tried selling them um, in, in his own country. Nobody was interested. Anyway, he, he went to, I think it was somewhere like Manhattan or somewhere like that, right? And he went to the most expensive jewelers uh, and he got them. So, so the, the first thing he did was he took out advertisements in papers and he put pictures of the black pearls surrounded by diamonds and things like that, right? Yeah. And then what he did, he went to the most expensive jewelers and he got them to put them in the window of his shop for an astronomical figure that yeah, like no one would ever buy it. could never afford, right? So the only people who could afford it is like the super rich. So then the only people that were wearing these black pearls were the super rich. And because of that, they the, the price was anchored off the action that he did, right? So the price of black pearls was anchored off the action that he did. And because of that, now people expect to pay an absolute fortune for them. Yeah. That's the history of black pearls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is pretty cool. Which I've there we go. Have that um, one for free. But no, I, I think, uh, yeah, I love that story. I thought it was really cool. I, I um it makes you think about luxury brands as well. Um, going back to talking about branding and like the price and quality, like all of these luxury brands. I, I walk past, I'm, you know, walk past a designer clothes shop and you're just like, who would even wear this? Like who the hell would even wear that? Like the patterns are ridiculous. Like it doesn't really, like a lot of it just doesn't really make sense. It's all very strange. You don't just go down the street and see people walking around wearing that kind of stuff. It's, it's to do with it, status. Yeah, it's all just like a oh well I'll you know I remember my cousin being like um he he started getting into like designer brands and he wanted like this these socks and they were like fifty pounds for like like two pairs of socks or something and he was like yeah but they've got this logo on them and they're really like that that's you know you're buying like that tiny logo they're freaking socks like it's insane <laughs> how much better how much better a product can they actually be than you know, I get 12 pairs for 10 quid. 
And right. I buy the same ones every time because it's like it's twelve pounds for ten quid. Uh, but no, it's status. It's it's status. It was. I think it was a guy called Russell Brunson who explained it the best. When I heard it and it kind of sunk in and I heard what he said, it was like, oh shit, that makes complete sense. And he was talking about um, so people like. Like you want the biggest house because they want, every single decision you make make is based on status. And I, and I thought, no, I don't agree. I disagree, right? And he was explaining that you want the biggest house because you want the status. You want the most expensive kayak because you want the status. You want all these different things. Every decision you make in life is for status, right? And then he said, but then someone will turn around and say, well, I could afford to drive a Ferrari, but I drive a Ford Fiesta or whatever. And they also make that decision because of status, because they don't want to be the knobhead driving around in the Ferrari that everyone's looking at thinking you're having a midlife crisis. Um, instead, they want to be the guy that's like, okay, they want to be fly under the radar. So it's kind of a reverse status, but you're still making the decision on status. And when he explained it like that, I was like, holy shit, that makes so much sense to me, which he didn't. That's so about. true. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that. That's well interesting. This value is definitely linked to status. The Victorians had moldy egyptian kneecaps on their mantelpiece because it was seen as showing their wealth and they also had black teeth because sugar was expensive yes yeah and and that's why people as well um that's why they'd wear that horrible makeup that was really really bad for your skin it's because they wanted to be pale because they so wait a minute just just a second <laughs> well, let's go back to the molding egyptian yeah, kneecaps for a sec like, wait a minute so they've gone to somebody's grave and dug them up and got their kneecaps <laughs> yeah going for the kneecaps he's wrong with people that's mad <laughs> victorian england was a wild place uh, although i think i heard something that like back in the day used to be able to get these kind of things from catalogs they'd be like like oddities and stuff you could buy from catalogs and i guess like some guys in egypt would just like pay a bunch of shady egyptian dudes to go and rob a grave for you or some pharaoh and uh yeah uh, and you end up with their moldy kneecaps on your mantelpiece that's crazy but if it's the market norm people do it nowadays everyone's realized um that sugar is the worst thing in the world for you but all the yeah all the so the healthiest back in the day would have been the people that weren't actually rich because they were living on potatoes and veg and things like that. Let's have a look. What else is she saying? Victorians loved robbing Egyptian graves. That's why there's hardly any mummies left. <laughs> That's is that real. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can I probably I, like privately funded uh, archaeological things in, in, yeah, if you're not, bought by a museum you could go and do that it's like indiana jones stuff go and grab some egyptian mummies that's cool is there any sections of the books we've not yet covered i'm looking at because i've got a few notes um i wrote loads but well, it was more about i was gonna say quickly on the thing of wealth like and and showing your wealth like on the topic i said about the um people who used to wear the very pale makeup yeah um and it was really bad for their skin but it made them look wealthy because they didn't have to go out into the sun to work so obviously if you were working in the fields all the time you'd have a killer tan so the more tanned you were the less um the less your status was the less wealthy you looked and i think it's really funny how that's inverted now so people never wanted to look like they had a suntan no it's very very historically recent that people look like they had a wanted to look like they had a suntan and only really in uh the only really in the west i think in asia you can't buy makeup without whitening cream in it seriously when, yeah all the girls that the girls that i knew when i was living in asia they would 
they would have to like look online for cream without whitening because otherwise they just end up with like moisturizing their face every morning and they're just making their skin really white because in in asia it's a lot of parts of asia um it's obviously a big place but um they have a similar thing that the darker your skin the more it looks like you've been outside and the people who spend the most time time outside are manual laborers so in thailand the, the men grow really long fingernails i thought it was super weird i thought they were just playing guitar all the time you know sometimes you see dudes <laughs> with like long fingernails because they like play classical guitar i was like wow all my students must be really into classical guitar but no apparently it's a it's a, a status symbol is like look i can have these long girly nails even though i'm a boy which is weird for people in the west but i can have these long girly nails because i don't work with my hands ah right so it's and like... it shows off their their wealth so ain't it mad Aren't people, yeah people mental aren't they? but it is status again you're going back to status every single time aren't you it's like yeah and it's the south-facing rear garden to our house we always make sure we, we want a south-facing the back of the house simply because we know that then you can go out into the back when it is sunny for like three days a year in the uk um that yeah that we can get the sun all day and yet back in the day people didn't want to do that and they, no. I guess skin cancer parasols like, they'd wear all that stuff uh, when i lived in hong kong they had they put warnings up on the beaches. It was crazy. They read it in like Cantonese, Mandarin and um, English. And it was like, if you are it, like the temperature is X really freaking hot. If you uh, are wearing a load of clothing, you might want to remove some layers because of how hot it is. And like, it was mad. You'd see these tour buses arriving from mainland China. All these guys would get out. Well, guys and girls uh, hordes of people would come out and they'd all be wearing like parkas uh, like rainproof coats they'd have like waterproof trousers on hiking boots with like woolly socks and they'd all just come out onto the beach it's like 35 degrees it's crazy heat like i'm just lying there like a lobster and these guys are coming out and they're just walking into the sea with all their clothes on wow so they yeah. didn't get a tan yeah so they don't get a tan and because they um being cold well, well, removing layers of clothing is like a bit of a social norm thing there anyway. But also being cold, they're very health conscious. And if you get cold, you catch a chill, you get ill. Yeah, they don't drink cold water for the same reason. They always drink room temperature water because they believe putting a cold substance inside you is going to make your core temperature go down. And you're going to get sick. But people uh, die on the beaches every year because of it. It's mad. Does it make you sick, though? drinking freezing cold water is it bad for you i'm not sure part of me is like probably because like your core temperature is normally quite high it's probably quite high for a re higher than your outer temperature for a reason because probably to keep your organs from working normally so if you cool down your organs maybe they stop working in the same way i i don't know man <laughs> i drink too much coffee so yeah yeah i'm on the i'm on the tea at the moment it's very very good uh, right, have we like, through everything today on the book do we have a um, was there anything else that was um oh uh ordering in restaurants people um ordering for variety rather than what they want um did you not do think you that was bullshit that so i was gonna ask you i was interested because he he says that people like in the other books, it all said about imitation and how we naturally imitate people. Yeah. So his logic is that we imitate people outwardly, but internally we want what we want 
and we imitate people at our own detriment. Yeah. Whereas, said, like, yeah. He said people at a restaurant went in, they ordered a load of food, uh, but but because they was asked out loud, everybody ordered something different because they didn't want to be the same as everyone else to try and show their own individualism. And then he said that if you wanted to increase the happiness of your guests at a restaurant, you would simply um, get them to, 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 to mark their food down in silence or literally write down what they wanted and pass it on rather than showing yeah. people publicly. But I thought that was absolute bollocks. I thought, I mean, some of his tests I think are great. I think some of his tests, like 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 the, the ones to do with pricing, the ones to do with selecting things like that, the ones to do where, where, where they talk about people in a sexually heightened state. So basically um, everybody yeah, will avoid make that one. a correct decision. So, so everybody will make the correct decision if you ask them about it. And in school, they, they avoid talking to people saying, when you get into this situation and you become sexually aroused, you're in a situation where you're going to make stupid fucking decisions and don't, so they don't teach them how to handle that. They teach them instead yeah. about this is a penis. This is a thing. This is how it works. This is how, and when, when he talks about all that stuff and it's like, okay, yeah, we do, we teach things because they're easier to teach, but we don't teach people the, the, the emotional state and the bad decisions that people will make yeah. when they're in that situation. He's quite, it's quite scary. Yeah, yeah, but he did some tests on that. So stuff like that I thought was really, really good. But the one about the restaurant, I thought that doesn't make sense to me. I I, I don't think people would try to uh, be individuals and order different food. It's like, I like steak and chips. I'm going to order steak and chips. Yeah, um, I, I thought that was a bit strange. But part, he did say that you can throw it off by deciding what you want beforehand. Yep. And I no, think if that... If you order first, you'll choose the thing and you'll be the happiest yeah, so if you just say before the waiter comes to the table, if you say, "Oh, I think I'm going to have this," then that takes the that takes off the for some reason that breaks it. You don't end up just trying to order the thing that nobody else ordered. I I do understand the ownership part of it. Naturally, we want ownership over something. Like I'm the steak and chips guy. Like you know, I always <laughs> get steak and chips. But if you're going to the restaurant and you're like, "Oh, I'm." I'm gagging for some steak and chips tonight. You know, that's if someone else orders it, then it doesn't really, you know, it, it's fine. It's still your thing because you've spoken about it previously. Um, me and some friends were ordering these. Um, we play the stupid card game called magic and um, uh, I won't explain it. It's extremely nerdy. Um, uh, and yeah. Go on, tell <laughs> uh, what it is. Well, it's like a card game. You have like monsters and spells and stuff like that. Oh God! If any girls are watching this, you can turn it off now. But um, the um, <laughs> monsters and spells, and it basically uh, you have like decks of these cards, and they're like designed around like a, a sort of commander card or like a leader card, and um, they all have like a certain flavor to them. Some are about like dragons, and some of them are about uh, like stealing things from other players and stuff like that. Um, and we there's a, a Lord of the Rings one coming out soon okay. we're like big fans of lord of the rings and um there's like four or five of these different decks and there's a bunch of us that play and everyone was like oh i want this one. Oh, i want that one and we all chose like different ones but then there's too many of us so some of us have to double up and uh everyone was like oh is it okay if i buy this one too or is it okay if i buy that one too it's like well yeah of course it is buy which one i which one you want like nobody actually owns these you know you don't you don't, you don't own it it's not yours. You can just buy whichever one you want. And um, we ended up having to almost have an intervention on the group chat where we're like, guys, just calm down. <laughs> just buy whichever one you want. We'll just play them at different interview intervals. It doesn't matter. Um, so let me see. 
Um, Got in a late, so didn't catch what book yes. he was putting. It's the book called Predictably Ashton. Look in the top right-hand corner. I put a picture. See it? Yeah, I noticed that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I figured yeah. out how to do that. See, because we're, we're new to doing this. Um, <clears throat> but yes, we are discussing Predictably Irrational uh, this week. Awesome book. Then we're going to discuss another one next week, which we're going to try and get everybody to buy and come along and join in every week and do this at the same time. So that it ends up kind of like a study group where we're all working on some sort of positive, structured... Um, <clears throat> I've not read this book. Does the author discuss free will and determinism? I don't know what determinism is. Do you know what determinism means? You're an English teacher. I should, shouldn't I? Determinism. Well, free will, I can work it out by free will and determinism. I guess it means about stuff being predetermined what we're going to do and we don't actually have the power of whether we have the power of free will and or not which is quite interesting because that's kind of where the book starts starts to uh it kind of like starts to wrap up because the whole way through i was like this is really interesting this is so cool this has changed my perspective and then there was a point where i was like okay this has changed my perspective but it, this isn't good like the whole thing is telling me that there are all of these decisions I have to make. I actually don't have much power in them at all because it depends on really small things. You know, if I am feeling like a little down about myself, I'm going to decide a completely different option on something really important. I think it's unrelated, but actually there is a relation there. And, and my opinion of myself ruins this decision or something. So I, I, I did think like, does it diminish free will? Like, well, do we actually have free will on our decisions? We're all a product of our environment. I think you have to teach yourself to 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 do what you want. I I think you have to train yourself. Like years and years and so years. You think ago, it's a skill? Yes. Years and years and years ago, I would have followed the herd. I would have been part of a, a gang, part of a community, part of the everybody's doing the same thing, and I would have followed along and done and done it. And nowadays, I purposely am. I do everything in my own way. I'm completely independent. The whole point of setting up my own company and doing everything is that I feel as though I'm completely unemployable because I can't take rules and I feel like that free will. But I see it in my children. I think I've always been like that. It's like if I tell my little girl to do something, she laughs and does the exact opposite. If I tell her to stop doing something, she laughs and carries on doing it. Um, and it's the same with my, my lad. He's the same. If I tell him to stop doing something, I can see he gets really mad at me and he gets really like he wants to punch me in the face <laughs> to the point where it's like don't tell me what to do so but yes it does talk do you think about... that's genetic or do you think that that's because they've grown up with you so they're like I oh well genetic and i'm an awkward asshole and i feel like they have got it from me i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing but it's definitely harder as a parent uh because, because... my dad is a lot like has uh, there's some similarities there like the way that he um the way that he does stuff he doesn't really care about what other people he's quite an individual um whereas my mom is like obsessed with what other people think i think there's also an element of it is kind of a woman thing as well but um Ooh, she's really so much stick for that if this gets popular this podcast now but carry on no <laughs> no i mean like you know the, there's the, women are more socially conscious than guys guys don't you know most guys have to like learn how to properly dress whereas women are like okay what are people like they're very socially conscious it's just how they it's how they do their thing my missus regularly says to me are you going to go out of the house like that because i come to right work like a homeless guy um i mean today i've got shorts on and trainers and I totally know. yeah there's nothing yeah. wrong with it 
you know, uh, it's, so, it's, so it's Al, just different. Alvin says, sounds great. We'll follow you guys on Fridays. That's good because at the end, Sweet. Alvin, when, when we finished on here, uh, we're going to show you what book we're reading next week. So, so we're going to study a specific book. And then if you go off and get that same book and we all study it next week and then everyone can join in and, and some of the shit that we learn from these things is probably wrong. Um, or, or we might have understood it in the wrong way or we might have understood it in the right way. We might all agree, but what we want to do is eventually grow a community of people that are working on the same things every single week because, I don't know about everybody else, but like I was saying to you, Callum, I read two or three books a week, but I never finish them all or, or I'll get 60% of the way through and I'm like, I'm sick of that. I'm going to jump onto this next idea. This next idea, this forces me. So predictably irrational, I've read one and a half times this week. I've done the Blinkist one. I've done the Headway one. I've done the, I've got about three or four different audiobook versions that you can read as well. And I've kind of gone through all of them uh, and, and I've studied it to a, to a level where I'll never forget it now. Whereas previously... I would have read it once or maybe read the first 60% and thought, I'm sick of this now. I want to move on to a different subject. So I feel like it's um, it's pushing me into and us into a, a, a specific direction with our studying. I can't wait to do this book, right? Wait there. Right. For a marketing perspective, I think that was probably the most sold book of 2022, except for really? the Bible and the Quran. But um, <laughs> that from Alex Amose is amazing um like and and this one i can't wait to do this one callum because you're going to be gutted look how thick that is <laughs> oh my god i've got to get through that in a week you've got to mate that's the rules that's i'll read it twice in a week that right yeah, it's a bit I, like you will when someone says you don't do something it makes you determined to do it yes exactly lauren when, when someone says to you um yeah or you can't do something like you haven't got the ability it's like, fuck you, I'll show you. Yeah. Great. I'll read the Atomic Habits a couple of months ago. Atomic Habits was great. We did that last week. Yeah. Um, that was a I really good enjoyed book. Atomic Habits. Yeah. Still, are you keeping up with your Atomic Habits? Me? Yeah. I, 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 except for the one where, you, you know, when I said uh, in the morning, I get up and, and, I, and I make sure I, I wait to get to the office to have a wee. Yes. My gym's in there. So I come and do my gym because I do um, seven mile on my air bike every morning. And then sometimes I'll do a bit of a workout before I start, before I go and get a shower and think it. But yeah, it's impossible. That's impossible. But with, with my little girl, she's now. <laughs> it was ambitious to be fair. Yeah. Well, she, Not she having used, a wee. <laughs> she used to always get a little bit of chocolate with every meal. So breakfast, she'd get a bit of chocolate out of this specific cupboard. We moved it. She doesn't know that it's above the breakfast bar now. It's out the way. And we've changed that pull out ladder into all things like rice crackers and, and really healthy things for her. Uh, or much healthier than things that are packed with sugar. And now she goes and gets one of those, like a chocolate rice cracker. But the chocolate rice cracker, it's only got like 4% sugar in it. So it's not bad for her. Um, right. So yeah, some of the things we've done, have, it, it, it really has. It's, it's had a positive um, a positive effect on on me and on my little girl. And, and on the way I look at things now, it's like, okay, I try to focus to make things easier and try yeah. to focus. But with, with this predictably irrational, this will change the way I do business going forward. Um, totally. Specifically to do with the price, the price anchoring, because the, the, a part of the book when they go through it, they talk about uh, price anchoring, and what they did is they did a test where they 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 basically started off with a low price anchor on some people and a high price anchor on others. Um, yeah, it was their, the last two digits of their social security number. Well, yeah, that yes, they, they used that as one. That was a price anchor. But then what they did is they, they said to people, I'm going to pay you this much to do this. And they said, somebody else I'm going to pay you this much. So here's okay. a low amount yep. you're going to get. Yep. This is a high amount you're going to get to do the same thing. And then at, later on, they said, what's the lowest you'd amount you, you'd accept for this? And people would 
go lower than the previous one. So one was 10 cents, one was 90 cents. The 10 cents people went to about five, six, seven cents or whatever it was. And yet the, the 90 cents people went like to 60, 70, 80 cents. So that price anchor, then what they did is they said, right, the next one we're only going to pay you 50 cents for. Uh, and then they went back and said, what's the lowest? And the people who'd started lower would still be price anchored to the original lower one. And then later when they spun them around and said to them, right, for this click, we're going to pay you 10 cents and you 90 cents after listening to this horrible sound. Mm-hmm. And then when they asked him again, the original, the first price anchor was the one that held true. So it shows that price anchoring from, from an early perspective, well, like from a sales presentation perspective, is brilliant because if you can prove the value of a product really, really, really early on, everything you say thereafter, that original price anchor is going to stick. So that's brilliant. Um, yeah. the, the, the decoy effect with the pricing structure is, okay, there's two different prices. I want to sell for this or this. How can I get people to pay for the more expensive one? Um is by using a decoy. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Yeah, super smart. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to make. I'm going to be so more much more aware of that stuff now, just as a consumer as well. Right. So we've got here. All these books oh. are helpful and great building blocks for being successful. I totally agree. That's that's why we're yep. doing it. That's why we spend. We're actually in work now while we're doing this. We're not supposed to be because it's a good Friday. But I know. Also, we do this every Friday during working hours rather than doing something productive that will actually earn money is we spend time on this podcast going through this because I feel that the education for both me and Callum is way more valuable than than us doing anything that's going to actually yeah, earn like a good Investing income. in yourself, isn't it? Uh, right. First goal is get rid of everything going in your head for 100% besides that you're doing right now. Uh, right, so being yeah. like hyper focused, like walking to the uh, just observe and analyze what you see and hear right at that time, and nothing else. Right, okay. So being what you're talking about is being present, um, like having like a yeah, work on stand. Okay, yeah. So just being present in the moment all the time and being making you more effective. Yeah, I I, I can agree with that. I'm a big fan of like um, uh, like um. Miyamoto Musashi, like the book of five rings and that stuff talks a lot about how you have to be present stoicism as well. I don't know if you've read the daily stoic, I think yeah. a little bit, but yeah, I I'm pretty into stoicism at the moment. And um, they talk about being present all the time and how, you know, the past is gone. So it's irrelevant. The future is yet to happen. So completely irrelevant. The only thing that matters is the exact moment. And um, obviously with Misashi, he's talking about it through like sword fighting and combat. And that's how you feel like the most present is being in that like situation where you're forced to be hyper-focused. I know from your sort of like boxing and, and martial arts background as well and the stuff I do, and it's the most like present I feel is when I'm, it's like meditative. Working out is the same, I guess. When you're on the bike, you're probably feeling really present. I watched a TV show the other week, actually, and, and it was some cop show. I like cop shows. I like crime shows and things like that. But there was this cop show that I watched, and basically he'd retired the guy, and he was so, – so he's standing outside of the police station where he's worked for 30 years, and he's staring at the front of the police station. And one of the coppers comes out and says to him, um, what are you doing? Why are you stood here staring at the police station? He said, I'm just taking it in and having a look at, at where – because he didn't realize that – the trees was the way they were and the colors of the building was the same. And he'd worked there for 30 years, but he'd never actually looked and taken it in. So I think that's kind of one of those, um, keeping it present is, is being in the present moment and actually paying attention to what's going on. But it's dead difficult to do, isn't it? Because you just float through yeah. life. I'm, well, I'm there's a lot of noise as well, isn't there? There's just, there's a lot of external noise, uh, stimuli pushing you in different directions. Um, but I think especially if, 
um, you know, people, if anyone's worrying about anxiety or something like that, being in the present is just super powerful because you stop worrying about stuff. It's, it's good. Um, what's this one? Uh, great idea to do this. Delighted to find you and any secrets holidays. Any sects, uh, sect. Ah, right. Okay. Holidays has nothing to do with the rest of humanity. Appropriate that you are keeping your schedule with integrity. We certainly are because the yeah, rest so... of the team are at home chilling probably with hangovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good Friday or not. Doesn't matter. Um, that That is a really interesting point though. I was going to bring it up earlier is that, you know, there are some places on earth where what we're doing today is actually illegal because it being a sort of religious holiday. Like working on a, yeah, working on a, um, it's one of the, um, you know, the day of rest, that whole concept. Oh yeah. It, there's like really, it was enforced by law. I don't know whether it still is in some countries. I'm sure it is um, just because it's the wild west out there, isn't it? But um yeah, in some places it's actually enforced. If you're working on the day of rest, then you're going to get in big trouble. And when you think about it, it kind of makes sense because you're going to be like that. You're going to be more productive than everyone else. If everyone else is like, I'm going to take the rest. That's why hyper capitalist, not particularly religious societies over here, we're like, ask for it. <laughs> Keep Starbucks open. <laughs> we'll do what you we know, must. You know the way I run my office, though. So every single person in my office works 10 till 2. So, so, and I've done this purposely because what I feel is if I had everybody coming in nine to five, like the rest of society do, I feel like you, you can potentially be productive, maybe six hours a day maximum. Right. And most people have got children, meaning at home, you've got your two hours that drain your productivity in the morning. So what I'll do is I run my offices from 10 AM till 2 PM Monday to Friday. And I do that specifically because I feel like people are more, they're more in the moment the more productive, the more alert, they know what's going on. Nobody ever feels like they're overworked. And if, if we can't get done what needs to be done between 10 and 2, I employ more people. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. and, I feel, and, and like I said to you, I'd love to write a book, which we've actually started putting together, called The 4-Hour Workday, which Tim Ferriss might go berserk about. But it's a true thing. But what I need to do is prove, prove the concept first. Yeah. Uh, what's this one say? It also helps more objective in order to less and biases like they were getting tons of things well i'd say that there are in a quality of responses in relationships with so being present is owning ourselves choosing the best and what does this last one say um my take it easy friday that you do this is good friday a real one but my take is that every friday you do this is good is Good Friday. Oh, oh, that's sweet. I read that wrong. That's you should sweet. read the questions because I'm terrible. You're an <laughs> <laughs> You should read the questions because you can read. <laughs> yeah, you should read the questions because you can read and I will listen. I'm really good at listening to people. I mean, I, I read these books every week and yet I still can't read. So can you imagine why I'm getting the wrong end of the stick from some of these books? Yeah. You're like, oh, I finished it one time and a half. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm taking longer because I'm actually reading. Yeah, I read the cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got through the blurb. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, right, is there anything else we've not covered in the book? Or is there anything anybody else has, has actually read in the book that you want us to try and cover now before we, we, we call this one a day and tell you what we're going to be reading next week and what we want you guys to come along and study with us and become more productive and more educated and kind of let's take this back to school, but we do something that forces... Happy holiday to you too. Yep. Happy Easter.
Thank you very much. I'm going to let you read the questions. I'll put them up. You read them. All right. Listening is a rare gift from a singer. I'll have to appreciate you. Okay. Nice. Well, I hope you're not expecting us to do any singing. Why? I, 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 I tell Wait, you what, I, I'll, I'll you got a, if you Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you're I'll scare the shit out of people. My brother's a brilliant singer, right? If you go yeah, to I was going to say, it's in the family, right? Yeah, my brother's a brilliant a, a brilliant singer, right? If you go to YouTube and type in Skinny Little Bastard, you'll see a video of him <laughs> in Sam Studios in London, right? Which is where like, people like Robbie Williams and all that produced the music. And he's, he's amazing. My other brother, he's, he's, he's a tattooist. He's a, he's, he got the talent to, um, to draw. And... I was a pisshead until I was 40, so I guess that was my... <laughs> that was the only thing I was ever good at, no. I, 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 some people get a natural talent. Yeah. I did a school musical. I can, I can hold a tune, but I don't want to make any, make any promises. Of course you can share this. On yeah, Facebook. yeah, share away. I give lessons, okay? Singing lessons. Oh, brilliant. There you go. Sign him up. Yeah. <laughs> Don't sign me up for singing lessons. I, I need to learn to read because we're doing a, uh, it's almost a book club on the wide debate, but I, I can't read. <laughs> I'll give you English lessons if you want. I'm 150 pounds an hour. Exactly. Um. <laughs> there we go. Then if you told me you would have done it for 35 pounds an hour, I'd have been like, it must be crap. Yeah, it must be terrible. That's funny. I was thinking about that the other day when I was taking on a new student. I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to have to tell him the price at the end. And I'm just going to tell him 150 quid. See what he says. Mate, you should, you should, you should advertise at that price because unfortunately, um, and you will feel right if you have to spend right. Let's say, let's say you're charging someone 35, 40, 50 pound an hour, whatever it is, right? Before you do the lesson, right? Say you need to spend half an hour preparing something to, to get it right so that you can teach them properly and get everything right. You're not mm -hmm. going to resent doing that and you're not going to do it as a rush job if you're charging 150 pound an hour. You're going to do a proper job, you're going to prepare it right, you're going to want them to achieve, and because they're more invested personally they're going to take it serious um in yeah. one of my presentations i tell a story about a guy from australia called paul right um we did quite a bit of business together uh he, he did well out of it and he was dead happy and he, he phones me up one day and says what's your address i'm going to send you a present and he sends me these um three memory sticks that he's purchased whatever reseller rights or whatever to hundreds and hundreds of thousands in in um in training courses over the years. So he sends me these three. So there's hundreds of grand's worth of training courses on there. And I see them all I'm like, wow, this is absolutely brilliant because I can study and I can go through it. I never, I never watched a single, any of them, right? Mm. Then a few months later, I purchased something for five grand, right? And, and I watched it about 10 times because I was personally invested in it. And if you get a student paying you 150 an hour over a student paying you 20 an hour, they're going to take it more seriously. And then recently I purchased uh, Jason Fladlian's um, Genius Webinar course. I think it was $2,000. But I, I went through every single little tiny bit of it because it was absolutely brilliant and because I'd spent two grand on it. If I'd spent $200, in fact, and I've just purchased three different training courses on, I think it's, what's it called? It's oh, one, of the, one of these training sites where you buy things. Anyway, it's on, it's on um, psychology and influence. Okay. Uh, they were like $17 each. I've not watched any of them. <laughs> if I'd spent $700 on them, I would have watched them all. Because you don't like, value them. Yes, it makes a difference, people. It really yeah. does. And I look at myself, and when I'm looking at myself, I'm like, I get it because I, if I buy something cheap, I don't value it. Even though, like I was saying to you the other day, I don't care if my missus bumps my car or does whatever because I don't value things. But still, if I pay a lot more for something, I, I put a lot more value on it than if I purchase something for less. So I'm happy to go and spend three, four, five grand on training courses because I know full well that I'll get every drop out of that training course and every bit of value. Yeah. 
So we have another one that says, uh, right on exactly what I do, real preparation, real preparation for each individual's voice's needs. Yeah, so talking about individuals and like specializing stuff with teaching, um, I actually can relate this to the book because uh, these guys that I'm teaching, the reason why I'm not going crazy with my prices is that uh, I'm with friends. So I know these guys and they're the people, the other students are family members of the friend that I know. So there's a social norm. Yeah. And uh, by raising the price on them really high, um, even though it would give me more time to be uh, be able to be more sort of tailored and spend more time looking at it and give them a better service, I would be potentially breaking a social norm by upping the price really high on them. Because of, right. Less. Uh, Russell Brunson did, did, told us a thing about this, right? Uh, see, I know everybody's everything. I study everybody, right? But Russell Brunson, uh, in one of his talks one time mentioned that he does a mastermind where he charges people 50 i think 25 to 50 grand to be in the room so some people are paid 25 grand some people are paid 50 grand to be in the room right and he basically says we've got almost a 99 percent success rate for people that have actually been in the room right he mm -hmm. says many a time he's invited family friends and people that are struggling in business to come along for free and not once has any of them ever been successful from what they've learned in that room and 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 when it, when he thinking it, I was like, wow. And then I related back to me and myself and what I do, and it's like, oh my god, it makes so much sense. So like when people say to me, oh, can't you can't we do it now, and then we'll pay you out on the money we're going to make? I know full well they'll never do it. In fact, there was a guy a few years ago. He was bringing out this app, and it was brilliant. And I thought he's going to make tens of millions off the back of this. So I, I helped him for free because I thought, you know what? He's actually getting to the point where he's going to make all this money off the back of this. It's 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 brilliant. He's going to make a fortune. So I helped him, and I spent about four or five hours with him right? Going through everything you need to do step by step and went through, set out his whole business plan, did it all. And I said, I'm not going to charge you nothing, mate. I want you to be successful. And then about three months later, um, I, he asked me, could we speak again about something? And, and I said, so what did you implement from last time? Like what, what's been implemented? What steps are you at? Where are you going from now? I, I've said, I'll help you. I want you to be, oh, he says, I decided to do something. And I was like, mate, pff, go away. Don't even fucking speak to me again. And he's like, what, what are you in about? I said, mate, cancel everything you've got with me and go away. I wasted five hours going through the whole process with you. And now you jump from thing to thing. If I'd have charged you five grand for that meeting, um, I, you, you would have done it. And I basically said, if you want to speak to me in the future, it's three and a half grand an hour. I said, otherwise don't even get in touch. And, wow. and I was rude, but I was rude because I was super pissed off because I was at the point where I'd spent five hours with somebody thinking, this is going to help him. This is really going to put him on the map. He's going to make millions. It's going to help him. It's going to help his family. And yeah, unfortunately, people need to be invested. Yeah. Yeah. That's price reflects the value and expectation of it too yeah definitely yeah, yeah that's a yeah great chapter of the book um but i value my word if someone gifts me with their time then that's something i honor highly with my uh serious reply in working and i had had a similar experience to what i'm speaking of yeah about my uh working with with um people that you know friends and stuff yeah it's true and um, valuing your time obviously that story relates to you as well doesn't it like what you just said yeah. you do have to value yourself and um uh that's something that like in the napoleon hill uh thinking grow rich is about building faith in yourself you build that sort of internal value like when i started out i was talking about fiverr earlier my um uh like that whole time in my life i had a degree in writing but i didn't value my ability as a writer at all so that's why i was going on content mail sites like fiverr five dollars to 
give me a, a panic attack with all of the work um, uh, because I, I didn't have that value. And if I did, the more now I'm you know, working in a more prof professional capacity with my writing, the more value I have for it, there's no way that I'd be charging that low now. Uh, my prices would be so much higher. And also meeting you and finding out about some of these things as well has helped with that sort of you know, valuing your time um, and the value that, yeah, the expectation of the value when you when you come in with a high price. But for example, um, it's kind of a bit like a placebo as well. Obviously, I do jujitsu. I talked about it a couple of times now. I'm a big jujitsu fanboy. Um, I pay a monthly membership, like 60, 70 quid a month to attend classes regularly. I can go like three, four, five times a week if I want to. Um, but also, if someone comes in and does a seminar, then I pay extra just to sit in on the seminar. I can remember the things that are taught in seminars like they were taught yesterday. But the things that are taught in my regular classes, even though I'm technically paying for them, although it's on a monthly basis, um, they get blurred together. But on a seminar, it's such like a, it's a standout occasion. I've put the money down um, to pay extra for it, and it, it sticks. It's really strange how that works. There was somebody who was talking about something similar to this, um, and I can't remember if it was in this book or it was in a different book. Um, but but this is this is something that, um, and it might have been in this same book. But he, he basically says, right, if you want to do something and you want to commit to it, right, you need to set a specific time, specific date, make it measurable, and all the rest of that stuff, and say, right, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, right, and then at the end of it, you need to turn around and say, right, and if I don't, if I don't do it and I don't follow through, then I have to so so like give you mate over here. So one of your friends, a, 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 like a, a check. I don't know if you can do checks anymore, but in the book, he mentions a check. He definitely was in this book. He says, give you, give your mate a check for say $500. And if you fail at that, or you don't stick to what you're supposed to do, he's going to mail that check to some charity that you hate. So it could be like um, <laughs> a charity for making sure that like dog food charity or, or I don't know, you know, something about like a charity you sure hate. That, oh, everybody's got painted nails in a certain fucking thingy charity where it's a complete yes. waste of money where you're not interested. And that way you'll focus and you'll make yourself do it because you don't want to pay for it. But it's the same. You get something you're as committed as you would be if you were paying for it without actually paying for it. Yeah. Um, that's a good idea. Scare, scare, fear of loss. And, and I'm sure I've read that in it. Right, guys, I feel like we've gone through almost everything that we can on the book today. I've really enjoyed today. Predictively Irrational. It was absolutely awesome book. I think it's life-changing. It. Everybody should read it. Right, so next week, we're going to come here at the same time. So, so it's 11 a.m. UK time. Is it 11 a.m. when we come on? It is, isn't it? 11 a.m. UK time every single Friday. Um, And wow, I think loads of things just popped up. Oh, no, it's just the one. Uh, and he said to you, anyway, 11 a.m. every single Friday, we're going to come on up to two hours. So we might we might be on from 11 to one. We might be on say, 11 to half 12. It depends which book we're going at and what we're doing. Uh, next week, we are going to do what book, Callum? We are going to look at Wired for Story. This one here. Um, the Writer's Guide to Using Brain Science to Hook Readers from the Very First Sentence. This is something that I'm going to like a lot, I think. I'm very excited to take this one home with me. Yeah, and the good thing about books like this is that they don't just help you in sales, which although they're designed wired for story, they they they, they help you. And maybe they're not designed for that. I don't know. I've not read it yet. Uh, but I'm assuming that it's it's very sales focused. But if it's not, I'm assuming if you're trying to write a play, if you're trying to write a song, um, if you're trying to make your partner go back out with you because they've dumped you and they've left you and you have to write them a letter, I don't know. It's a sob story. Uh, uh, who wrote Wired for Story? 
Um, it is Lisa Cron. Lisa, go on, share, show, show the name so people can see. Lisa Cron. Cron is how that's. So yeah. if people buy that, me and Callum are going to read it cover to cover, probably yep. twice by this time next week. We're going to watch every video we can on YouTube, figure out, get a list of all the different things that's in there. And then anyone who can come and join us at 11 a.m. next week, that'd be great. Subscribe to the channel and click the thing that says that where, where you get notified when we come on. Because, yep. um, yeah, we might not. Lisa Cron, yep, there we go. Boom, stick that up. In that's fact, the yeah, one. Wait there, it's called... Oh, Wired man, we can write things. For story... Lisa Cron. Let's see. I don't know if we can. Let's have a look. I've just pressed it. Boom. There you go, guys. The wider base. Love it. Oh. That's cool. I've just figured There's out what's our logo. As well, I think that's awesome, that logo. Yeah. Um, I love it. Sweet logo. Yeah, Beautifully and, designed. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, and I'm pretty sure Dan's not going to sue us for using a picture of his book that we... Uh, in the top because we're marketing for him. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a nice guy anyway. Imagine if he did. The wide debate. The end of the wide debate before it begins. It's, kind of, it's, it's called the wide debate because <clears throat> we're not just going to do books. We could do anything. It could, it could, it, I mean, I, I want to look at things like, like religion. I want to look at stuff in history. I want to look at things to do with business. I want to look at, I mean, we, we basically said when we first started it, health, wealth, relationships. Let's look at things for all different things. We could do something to do with weight loss, to do with keto. I have no clue yet. We're, we're just we're slowly working this out, but we, we've decided to go live because what we want to do is enable you guys to be able to come on, study the same thing as us, so it kind of focuses what we're doing every single week and hopefully builds value for absolutely everybody that's watching. Um, and yeah, it's fun. And I, I mean, I, I probably won't ever look at it predictably irrationally again. I've read it that many times now. But then as soon as we leave here, I'll probably start uh, start on Wired for Story. Yeah, I need to get into that one quick. I'm going to try and beat you to finishing it this time. It's never going to happen. See, competition. You have the go. superpower of not actually reading, though. So that's the... Yeah, <laughs> that's, I can't read. your advantage. Words, but I do look at the pages. <laughs> you think it would take you longer because you have to Google all the words. <laughs> oh, what a prick. Right, on that one, guys. <laughs> We will see you all at 11 a.m. UK time next week. Thank you very much. Looking Cheers. forward to it. Bye. See you later. Bye.